Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to New York Insight Meditation Center. My name is Kathy, and I'll be managing this evening and tomorrow's day long. And we also have Michael and Marilyn volunteering this evening. And uh, we're here to support you and hopefully be available if there's anything you need and to make this evening of teaching and if you're joining us tomorrow of practice um, comfortable for you. I do want to just do a little bit of business. If you can just double check your cell phones or any electronic devices and just make sure they're on silent or off. And we do also have dirty teachings in here that you do not bring in any drinks other than water. So tea, coffee, any of those, we ask that you just leave them outside in the pantry area. Okay. I'm going to be curious how many of you are new to New York Insight? Is this a free book? Welcome. How close would you be? Very exciting. Hopefully you'll just like that tomorrow. The teachings here are incredible. I'm a big fan. So I'm really excited about this evening and um, being able to support the two teachers here this evening and tomorrow. Um, without a doubt for me, these are two teachers that have really touched my practice in an incredible way. And to be able to manage the event today and tomorrow is really very special for me. So let me welcome both of them and I'm going to just read to you their bios because they are really amazing and they do amazing things to bring this practice into the world. Tanisara started Buddhist practice in the Burmese school in 1975. She was inspired to ordain after meeting Ajahn Chah and spent 12 years as a Buddhist nun, where she was a founding member of Chithurst Monastery an Amaravati Buddhist monastery in the UK. She has facilitated meditation retreats internationally the last 30 years. She has an MA in mindfulness-based psychotherapy practice from Middlesex University and the Karuna Institute in the UK. She is a core teacher at IMS. With Kitasaro, she co-founded Dharma Girl Insight Meditation Center and helped initiate and support a number of HIV AIDS response projects in South Africa. She has written several books, including two poetry books. Her latest book is Time to Stand Up, an Engaged Buddhist Manifesto for Our Earth. Kitasaro graduated from Princeton as a Rhodes Scholar and went on to Oxford before going to Thailand to ordain Ajahn Chah in 1976. He was a monk for 15 years. During that time, helped found Chithurst Monastery in Devon Fahara in the UK, trained monks, was a prison chaplain, and taught extensively. He disrobed in 1991, and since then has taught internationally. With Tanisara, he co-founded Chattanooga Insight, Tennessee, and Dharma Girls Sacred Mountain Retreat in 2000. We also initiates and supports a number of HIV AIDS response projects in South Africa. He has studied and practiced Chan and Pure Land for 35 years, informed by the Chinese School of Master Wo, and has completed two-year-long silent self-retreats. With Tenasara, he is co-author of Listening to the Heart, a Contemplative Journey to Engage Buddhism. 
They are both core teachers at IMS and on the teacher council at Spirit Rock. They currently live in Sonoma County, California. And before I officially welcome them, just a reminder that the teachings this evening are being offered um, by way of support from the community. Your registration helps to keep New York Insight moving and going and, and engaging our community. Our teachers, however, come in and offer their teachings and, and do not know if they'll even get some kind of support back for that. But in order for them to be here today, somebody had to support them. And if the teacher teachings move you in a way, then the way to, to show your appreciation here in New York Insight is by offering Donna. Um, or for those of you who are not sure what Donna is, it's a donation. So we do ask you to consider doing that at the end of today and, and if you're here tomorrow. We have two Donna boxes, one in the back of this room and one in the little foyer area. We do accept into those boxes uh, cash or a check made out to New York Insight. And if you'd like to offer Donna by way of credit card, you can come find me over the course of the teachings. Thank you and welcome. Enjoy your teachings this evening. Thank you, Kathy. <clears throat> Welcome everyone to New York Insight and to this evening. We're really delighted to join you tonight and tomorrow um, to reflect on uh, I think the title of the, the, the weekend is um, Freeing Human Consciousness, which is rather an ambitious thing to explore, but a very necessary um, subject, looking at the nature of mind. Um, from all things, um, all things emerge from mind, as uh, the Buddha taught, at the source of uh, many of our um, difficulties and our current planetary crisis have um, emerged from this very mind of ours. So tracing back to the root of that and looking at um, how the Dharma can support us in contemplating mind and understanding how we can transform the forces of destruction um, that uh, are generated through greed, hatred, and delusion, and ignorance, and how to instead recognize that we also have the potential for awakening and for developing um, extremely innovative and creative and aspirational acts of love and um, generosity and um, ethics and so on. So this is sort of the general territory that we, we hope to be able to touch into. Um, tonight, Kitty Sarah will be primarily giving the, the talk to get us into, um, into the territory. But before we, we do that, we would like to start the evening with some practice. And primarily that begins, um, we'd like to begin with offering some blessing chance, protection chance, which is an aspect of the training that we um, received in our Buddhist training over many years we spent in the monasteries, that this um, energy of the Dharma is also carried through a devotional faith practice that is not just a, a sort of um, 
haphazard thing or a blind faith thing, but it's actually connected with understanding how transmission works, how transmission of the human spirit, that it can be and is carried also not just through the rational cognitive frame, but also through a lineage of transmission of conscious awareness, conscious awakening. And that's expressed through these chants that we are offering and opening this evening with. Both of them are are very ancient chants. One is the teaching of the Buddha on loving kindness. The Karinya Metta Sutta, the Sutta on loving kindness, where the Buddha teaches um, how to develop this profound practice of holding kindness and compassion for all living beings regardless. And um, perhaps we'll have a chance to go into that teaching a bit more tomorrow. Seems to fit with the theme of the of the weekend. And then coupled with that, we'll also offer a chant from the Chinese school, which is the great compassion mantra that's connected with the manifestation of Kuan Yin Bodhisattva, Avadakiteshvara Bodhisattva. This is a around the energy of compassion, love, uh, merciful response, rooted in deep wisdom where there's the understanding that there's no ultimate separation between all manifested reality. It's a seamless uh, world. The, The perceptions of the human mind designate difference, but actually we're all deeply interconnected. So um, as we um, invoke these uh, powers of um, compassion and mercy and love from within each of us and from around, um, you can just tune into the sounds and allow yourself to arrive into this space and recognize that we're, we're tuning into something very ancient through these chants, thousands of years old. And um, carried in that is a deep transmission of lineage of awakening um, so that we're moving a little bit out of our regular space and states that we're in um, in New York City and we're allowing ourselves to to connect to a deeper flow of uh, spirit. So you can just listen to the sounds and come into touch with your breath and your body, allow yourself to arrive maybe taking a few deep breaths and just relaxing into the space of being here together tonight. Karlani Yamata Kusalena Yandang Santang Bhattana Bhisamecha Sakko Jujasu 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 Mudhuanatimani Santu Sangko Jasu Maraja Bhagi Jujasalahu Kavuti Sandindriyojani Pacca, <laughs> 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 
tataye keje mana bhata
taking a few, a few minutes to quietly stretch if that's helpful.
Good evening. If I speak like this, can you hear? Yes. Okay. Thank you. It's quite sweet uh, to be in New York City. This is where my dad grew up, in Lower Manhattan. And yesterday, uh, Tanisha and I walked down to Madison Street and Market uh, this uh, little place where my father lived and his family ran a little grocery store. So it's lovely to have the chance to come back and uh, remember him, remember my family. and uh, remember all the blessings that I've had the good fortune to receive uh, through their generosity of spirit. Their capacity to stretch beyond themselves and care care for others in terms of each other and then their children. I was one of their children and they thought about, really made great effort to uh, see that we had a good education and had an opportunity to make contacts with a variety of ideas and perspectives and especially to be able to empathize to imagine to put ourselves in other people's shoes skins circumstances And I realize as I uh, grow up that that's not the opportunity that everyone has. So I felt very privileged and uh, do feel uh, very grateful. And Tanisha and I are, are pleased to have the chance to be back here at uh, New York Insight. And we're grateful to be invited to meet with kindred spirits, fellow beings who are concerned about where we're heading, what's motivating our lives, 
and who recognize the importance of stopping, listening, pausing, reflecting, and in a world where sometimes impulsiveness can reign supreme, Tweet can just be blasted out, uh, just to stir up all sorts of ways of uh, controversy, to have the chance to celebrate quietly, albeit, but powerfully, the importance of pausing and listening. An ancient tradition that's uh, as far as I know, basically important to all the great religious traditions. The Sabbath or Shabbat means stopping, pausing, reflecting on what has been created. And in the, uh, the, the Buddhist tradition, that, that principle is called the Uposatha, the observance days. Auspiciously, today is one of those. It's the new moon for thousands of years from before the Buddha, and certainly this was continued uh, at the time of the Buddha and passed down in his monastic traditions uh, to pause with the phases of the moon. That was a a way that people could recognize these rhythms of time. The full moon, then in about a week, the waning into the half moon. Full moon was an observance day, the half moon was an observance day, and then the new moon, today. Around the world, the various uh, Buddhist monastic uh, traditions are uh, pausing, listening. Many lay people to remember what's important. And when one pauses and listens, we'll notice what's moving us. If there's a, a lot of restlessness to get onto the next thing and, and get it done, when we stop and pause and listen, we'll feel that restlessness. But one of the beauties of pausing and having a sense for the sacred value of pausing and listening, then we'll feel that, that ghost that impulse, that current of got to get on to, to, to the next thing. Got, got, got so much to do. Don't, don't have time to, to sit here. Make something happen. When we'll have a chance to feel that, that current, sometimes it is really useful to 
be able to get things done. But if we're not careful when that uh, impulse and the other currents of mind, the desires, the aversions, the apprehensions, the anxieties, the distress, just pulling us around, pushing us around when we pause, breathe, relax and listen and we feel that current rather than being turned by the state as the great masters say we can observe the state turn what seems so much like me wanting to get something, to do something, to figure something out when we, for example, take a period like we've just had of stopping and listening, that momentum will continue to express itself and we can uh, sense, what is this? Is this something I really want to follow? And if we compulsively have to follow impulses, we all know the feeling. It's, there's no rest. So to be able to soften and relax and allow the impulses of distraction, restlessness, imagining, to arise, shift and cease, we have a chance to, to notice something wider. We have a chance to notice that these impulses and thoughts and sensations and even the sounds of this talk and the sounds of the city humming when we pause and listen the suchness of things the actuality of things the as-isness of experience can reveal itself within that listening. We'll notice that these sounds and sensations are arising and ceasing within. Within a knowing, within a consciousness that's not visible to the eye can't see it, we can see forms and hear sounds, but what registers the form? The sound arises and dissolves, and the listening, or the awareness, or the knowing, these are different phrases that point to that recognition, that abiding, that's not visible, but which we inhabit. We are quality of being. This weekend we'll be reflecting on this theme of uh, freeing consciousness. And we're going to be uh, looking at a few texts and uh, one in particular from the 
what's called the Sharangama Sutra. Sharangama means durable, unshakable, lasting. Sharangama Sutra. I'll read a passage from that sutra. People who undertake a spiritual practice, this is from the Buddha, people who undertake a spiritual practice but who fail to realize the ultimate enlightenment, all fail because they do not understand the two fundamental roots and are mistaken and confused in their practice. They're like someone who cooks sand, hoping to prepare a delicious meal. Even if the sand were cooked for eons, numberless as motes of dust, no meal would result from it. What are the two fundamental roots? The first is the root of beginningless birth and death, which is the mind that seizes upon conditions and that you and I and all living beings now make use of, taking it to be our nature, taking it to be me, The second is the primal, pure substance of the beginningless, awakened Nibbana. It is that primal, bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions. Because of conditions, you consider it to be lost. (coughs) Living beings lose sight of the original brightness. Therefore, though they use it to the end of their days, they are unaware of it. And without intending to, they enter the various destinies. It's quite an image. Making all this effort to cook sand. that when we don't understand the two roots, two fundamental roots, that block us from having success in our spiritual aspirations, first this mind that seizes upon conditions, taking them to be me. What sort of conditions mind that seizes on our body and its state. For example, when we're feeling good, like when I first came to uh, New York, it's a a memory that I have that I'm uh, ashamed of. I look back and realize I was, I didn't know better, but I think I was four or five and my dad took me on the train 
from Chattanooga up to New York. He wanted me to meet my grandma, and my granddad had died. And my grandma, I just uh, not long ago found one of her letters, poignant letters that uh, she wrote, uh, very with very much difficulty because her hands were quite crippled from rheumatoid arthritis. In fact, her whole body was, after the birth of her second child, my dad's younger brother, she, she got this rheumatoid arthritis. And in this, in this letter, she was uh, hoping she would get better so that she could come down south and meet the rest of the family and see dad and mom and the, and the children. What was poignant about that letter is I realized she was never able to do that. But anyway, when I was uh, four or five, Dad took me on the train and took me down there to Madison and Market Street and up into up some stairs into a flat. And I uh, met my grandmother, but I remember being frightened I was frightened by the, the, her gnarled hands. I was frightened uh, by the, the wheelchair. I just didn't know what it was. And And, and why I, I don't feel good about that memory, I didn't know uh, better. And I feel great gratitude now for my family and my ancestors. Our family and ancestors allow us to be here. But I was just imagining from uh, her point of view, seeing this grandchild who's... Uh, I mean, I didn't go run out of the room, but I uh, just wonder what it what must have been like. We can identify with our bodies, can feel happy when we're feeling well and distressed when we're feeling agitated or ill. We can identify with our moods and our thoughts, our possessions. Our race, our color our orientation, our group, my group, your group. Notice when there is an... uh, Why would that be the root of beginningless birth and death? The Buddha realized there's this contraction when we seize upon conditions that we take to be me and mine. And whatever we take to be me and mine, first it's important just to even understand it conceptually, which I'm sure we all do, but in our Dhamma practice we, we underline it. We remember it again and again that when we take something like feeling good, and it's nice to rejoice in feeling good, feeling strong and 
healthy, if there's a leaning on that, an assumption this is mine, me, then when that shifts and changes, it's like uh, sitting in a chair that has a, a wobbly leg that gives way. It's like leaning on something that doesn't hold our weight. When that, whatever we've leaned on, when health turns to illness, when praise, people appreciating us, turns to people, to that sense of distance and criticism, then the extent to which we've leaned on or inclined to praise, then there's that wobbling of criticism and then maybe even reacting back. Birth, whatever we take to be me and mine, with this appearance that something is solid, praise and success and pleasure, even just things feeling good, something that's beautiful or soothing or pleasant or uplifting, Natural to rejoice in that, why not? The Buddha is not saying not to appreciate things, but what happens when we lean on that, seek security in that? That's a moment of birth. And then literally with the change of that condition and as we can notice from our moments of pausing, that's the value of meditation of listening when we stop and listen, we'll realize that even though the language tells us that, uh, or gives the impression of solidity in terms of nouns and this and that and my body and success sounds solid, but when we stop and taste this moment, just like the sounds of this talk. A talk sounds more solid than the actuality. So we actually touch into the actuality of a talk. Then we'll hear the the words and phrases uh, manifesting and dissolving, manifesting and dissolving that second root that if not understood then then our aspiration for freedom will fall short is this primal essence of consciousness the Buddha spoke about uh, a timeless, original brightness, a quality of undying suchness that's always here and now. But that's so easily to overlook when we contract around some apparent condition, an object like our health, like our possessions, like our success, like our position. But when we start to reflect that uh, 
every so-called object keeps dissolving back into a matrix, into a context. We're beginning to touch into this deeper ground of being. cooking sand, hoping to get a delicious meal, will reap disappointment. Similarly, when we ask conditions, the conditions of day and night, the conditions of feeling, every moment is associated with a valence, with a feeling tone, every sight, every sound. Notice sights and sounds can be pleasing or displeasing. Sensations of our body right now, our forehead, our cheeks, our shoulders, our body. Hopefully many of them are, are sort of neutral, but you might notice, certainly I notice a bit of discomfort in my knees, my 66-year-old knees and the back. If you're wondering if it, is it pleasant or unpleasant, if you're finding it not easy to be with it, it's called unpleasant. <laughs> but even when we go right to the unpleasant feeling, it's pulsing maybe, or shifting. And then the very attention itself in this room. Notice that our attention has moments of seeing. If our eyes are working and hearing, interwoven with the sensations of our body sitting and thoughts and impressions we might be having, this cascading shift of change, the actuality of being at New York inside on the Uposa today, the new moon, March 16th, 2018, listening to Kitty Sorrow, Notice the actuality, though one can write down and there seem to be nouns and substance. Actually, when we're actually here, inquiring into the nature of this moment, shifting, changing every instant. This is consciousness when it's noticing the objects, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the physical impressions, the images, the concepts. But if we're imagining, oh, no, 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 if I just get my meditation, 
when are you going to get to meditation, Kitty's Hall? If I just get my meditation a bit more subtle and smooth, I know I'll break through. The cooking sand hoping to, to get a savory meal is like sometimes imagining that if we squeeze conditions enough, we'll get to the point where they just, we've made it. Our teacher Ajahn Chah used to say if you're looking for certainty in that which is actually uncertain, you're bound to suffer. If, if things are becoming otherwise in every instant and yet somehow we're imagining that we're going to get to a place where, where we have it just right, that's the cooking sand. That's, it's called the view, the ditti. Wrong view or, or, or misguided understanding, then then we're we might have ten out of ten for effort, but in Zen they call it trying to polish a brick, hoping you'll get a mirror. No, no, no don't bother me. I'm I'm getting there. Look, it's getting shiny. Come on. And so this turning, the great return what's called the great return, is when we pause and start to acknowledge that actually everything being itself, everything is not actually a thing. Every sound emerges and dissolves. Every sight shifts and shimmers back into knowing. Every thought manifests and dissolves until there's that recognition of uncertainty, of things changing, then one is still objectifying the idea that we're really going to get somewhere. That's that mind that seizes upon conditions and takes it to be me and mine. That is this origin of endless suffering. But the great return, when we start to realize that every condition shifts and changes, is we start to be interested in where do things go? Where does every sight and sound return to? And so it is said that as space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all phenomena, to all experience, as space is to form. This, this return and beginning to get perspective on this root, this deep origin of, of stress and suffering, is to start, when we start reflecting on the changing nature, we realize that everything happens within a context, within a matrix. We can be so focused on who's here, define people's body size and weight and characteristics and color and 
through interviewing uh, histories and perspectives and orientations and be attracted to some and not attracted to others and overlook some. But does consciousness also notice there would be no form without space? Oh yeah, but space is nothing, Kitty Sorrow. It's called nothing. You know, nothing, that means you don't. If you're trying to keep our attention, you don't go to nothing. I'll keep that in mind, thank you. But space, but there is no form without space. And there's the gathering, and people come and then you'll go, but the space remains. As silence is the sound, there is no sound without silence. There's no experience, experience, phenomena without awareness, this matrix. In that same in that same uh, discourse, The Buddha went on to say, we are committed to the delusion that the mind is inside the physical body. What you do not know, he said, is that the true, wondrous, luminosity, luminously understanding mind contains the body. And everything outside the body, mountains, rivers, sky, the entire world, This primary misconception, he said, that about the mind and body is this false view that the mind dwells inside the body. He said, you do not know that the physical body as well as the mountains, rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. In contemplative practice, it's very important to start noticing that right now the experience of our body, of sound, is happening within awareness. The sense of ourself sitting here is appearing within consciousness. Again, the sounds of this talk are appearing and dissolving, and when the sounds dissolve, what remains? Giving attention to what remains, to this background, is what makes liberation possible. The Buddha went on to say, you are like someone who fails to see a boundless ocean a hundred thousand miles across and is aware only of a single floating bubble. You see that bubble floating and think it is the vast tide that surges towards 
the furthest branchings of the sea. You're like someone who fails to see a boundless ocean a hundred thousand miles across and is aware only of a single floating bubble. You see that bubble floating. You see it floating there and think it is the vast tide that surges toward the furthest branchings of the sea. Taking what's in the mind and being enchanted by it, mesmerized by it. We, we have it happening in our lives and all around us all the time. A bubble, a thought that I'm a thought of hatred. These people are ruining my life. That thought, that mood, those emotions, the Buddha's comparing them to a single bubble on a vast ocean. But when the mind, the mind that seizes upon conditions, that is the origin of beginningless birth and death, we take that to be me. We know that experience. When we're really discouraged and overwhelmed, it's too much. It's, it's, it, it is too much. It's not a bubble. It's too much, Kitty Sorrow. And we're... And then we act on it. We can be so distressed that we take our own life, that we take someone else's life, that we can't cope and we can seek all sorts of unskillful ways to just try to disconnect, not feel. But with a teaching like this, it's like taking a bubble to be the whole ocean So when we have moments of practicing, and this is what we'll be doing uh, tomorrow in our day of practice, to honor the condition, honor the bubbles, but to reflect that whatever the sound, whatever the mood, whatever the opinion, and these constructs, these opinions about ourselves and others, these are what generate these walls of the mind, these, these uh, little contracted compartments where we abide, feeling overwhelmed or, or generating these apartheids of the heart where we project out there all the people that are really causing us the trouble. And then, but what happens if we're just interested in something that it might not seem powerful, just like when focusing on form, noticing the space around the forms. Focusing on sounds and our thoughts, our inner sounds. Allowing those inner thoughts to manifest, but to notice the silence around them. In our monastic life, we, we practiced first with ordinary thoughts that aren't too charged. I am sitting, for example. Notice the silence right before that thought. I am sitting. Then notice the silence after that thought. The space around the thought and to reflect on we take bubbles to be the whole ocean. 
when we take the sensations of feeling distressed and those thoughts to be the whole of who I am, we miss this ocean-like, sky-like, boundless, what the Buddha called the original brightness that is always here and now. The Buddha said our, our heart is luminous. Our being is luminous, but we lose touch with this ever-present luminosity and understanding when we're mesmerized by what moves through the heart. So in our contemplation, we're going to, yes, notice conditions, but there's been this drastic overlooking the matrix, the context, the ground that makes experience possible. And without that recognition, then we're polishing a brick, hoping to get a mirror. Our teachers used to say, every sound and every thought is like a taxi. It will carry you back. If we have the patience, not only with the birth of that thought, but also train ourselves to learn to, to bear, to savor, not only the birth, but the dying of a thought, the dying of a sound, and start to attune our awareness to that which remains. The first disciple who broke through, who understood what the Buddha was pointing to, used the image of a guest dust, He said, a guest that goes to an inn, stays for a while, maybe has a meal, but then moves on, and the host remains. The guest is the one that does not remain. The guest comes and goes. Dust, when a light beam through a wall or through a window reveals dust dancing in the light, the dust has the nature to dance. But the space is still and unmoved. The dust dances and the space remains untroubled. That's just an analogy, but we can notice what moves. Honor it for that, its nature. Wanting what moves to give us certainty. Our teacher said it's like uh, questioning a, a duck and saying, why aren't you a chicken? Look, chickens are useful. They're waking us up in the morning and, you know, really doing something. You know, can't you, a quack quack is all right, but... Arguing with the duck why it's not a chicken, or our teacher said it's like uh, uh, shouting at a river, saying you shouldn't flow that way, you should flow the other way. Conditions change. So when we surrender, when there's this release and allowing conditions, even the most innocent ones, 
like a sound, like a thought, I'm sitting, or I'm walking, or even as we get more depth, we can allow the thoughts of even being troubled. Oh, I, I just, I can't, I can't figure it out. And when, when that doubt is, is so enchanting that we really feel contracted and become that I am a doubting person. There's the contemplative possibility of just noticing, ah, those are bubbles changing as we start to allow ourselves to to recognize what doesn't change, what is never shaken, just like that space. It is not troubled when the dust dances or the host that remains when the guests come and go. The Buddha compared our nature to uh, a sky. And I'll recite a a short uh, teaching from the Dhammapada that has been a great inspiration to me. He said, there are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Worldly people delight in complexity, in conceptual proliferation. Buddhas delight in the ending of that. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. There are no eternal conditioned things. Buddhas never waver. There are no footprints in the sky. The Buddha is comparing our true nature like a sky. When we don't realize that, we're contracted around identifying beings by their shape, by their characteristics. And we identify ourselves, oh, I'm someone who's this and that, I'm troubled. Or we get all inflated, I'm the only one who knows what's going on and all these others. We can recognize that in this world. It's causing a lot of trouble. But footprint is a way of really tracking something. We think we, when we identify with conditions, with, with our health, with our success, with how we think we're doing, if we really lean on that and identify with it, we get contracted. But can there be footprints in the sky? You say, no, because there's, there's no substantial ground. As we contemplate, we'll realize all these things that we think are our footprint, that are me, we can honor those. But if we listen closely, we'll realize, just like the sounds of this talk, just like every in-breath that vibrates and dissolves, and it's gone. Then it becomes an out-breath, it vibrates and disappears. That every condition 
manifests and dissolves into this sky like suchness. Whatever word one gives to it is just another bubble. The name that can be named is not the eternal name, so the ancients say. We might give different names to this brightness. We might call it Nibbana or peace or if people want to call it God, I don't mind. God, the truth, the beyond. The Buddha said there's lots of names you could give it. The beautiful, the sublime, the everlasting. But he realized they're just names. You won't find the sage out there. When we project that uh, the real goal is the wise ones are out there, then in a way we are concretizing the sense of there's a something missing in my being and that we, we're seeking the answers out there. When we start to practice that great return and realize that every opinion we have about ourselves or anyone else is arising and ceasing into this sky-like place which is the source of all things. The Buddha said every single condition merges in this ground, this groundless ground of listening. Worldlings delight in that uh, poem, that uh, utterance of the Buddha, in complexity. When we're attached to our thought that creates the me's, the you's, the them's, the goods and the bad, that's what the Buddha called conceptual proliferation. When the grammar of our language makes us believe that that is the reality, just all these categories, separative consciousness. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. There are no eternal conditioned things. Buddhas never waver. Though living beings delight in conceptual proliferation, the Buddha delights in the ending of that. He can use thought. He's a wonderful communicator. We can train ourselves to use thought. But in meditation, we're learning to moderate our thoughts, shorten our thoughts, and at least some of the time realize that every thought keeps dissolving. Every thought is actually like a bubble. Every th- and that those bubbles, when they try to tell us who we are and who the world is, we should be very cautious. That bubble that seems like the whole ocean. And if we can have the patience and the trust to allow thoughts to reveal themselves as what they are, bubble-like, insubstantial, evanescent moments, then we have a chance to taste again and rest into that place where all things merge, where every sound, every experience returns. The Buddha said that every single moment, no matter how constricted, how confused, how impossible, 
or how wonderful that every single moment has as its essence freedom. Vimutti sara sabedama, that sabedama means every single circumstance. Vimutta means freedom. Vimutti sara as essence. And so in our contemplative work uh, this weekend and tonight and tomorrow, just encouraging us to be open to the possibility that right now, even though our papancha, our concepts might be telling us, I'm this, I'm that, and I've got, I'm not there yet, I have to... Can we just listen to those sounds? But, but, but what, about the, what, what about the world and what's happening to... If we get this inner place, moments of ease, where we then have something trustworthy, perspective and abiding that gives us a stronger ground and more clarity to respond to what is around us. So I'll finish with a a short, uh, with a reading from a, a beautiful Tibetan teacher named Dilgo Kinsei Rinpoche. And... which uh, talks about this nature of conditions and its relationship with the ground of being. This is his quote. All phenomena arise like a rainbow And like a rainbow, they are devoid of tangible existence. Once you have recognized the true nature of reality, which is empty, and at the same time appears as the phenomenal world, your mind will cease to be under the power of delusion. If you know how to leave your thoughts free to dissolve by themselves, As they arise, they will cross your mind as a bird crosses the sky without leaving any trace. If you know how to leave your thoughts free to dissolve by themselves as they arise, they will cross your mind as a bird crosses the sky without leaving any trace.
Thank you for your attention. And may we remember that we're not isolated beings, that we're here because of others in this mysterious web of life that's held within this invisible matrix of awareness. May we finish, uh, I'd like to finish by just sharing the blessings of our lives above, below, and all around for the welfare of the many. Carried by the sound of uh, the short mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum, which means may all beings wake up to this jewel in the heart of the lotus.
we wish you a peaceful evening and uh, tomorrow hopefully see you um, back here as we uh, uh, this beautiful talk that you've given mm. thank you so much uh, we um, explore the application in the times of our planetary emergency a small subject <laughs>